Welcome. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be with you. Uh, I am uh, pleased to tell you that we have uh, Dale Roberts on board, MoGunLaw.com. Mr. Roberts. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, and uh, we also have Chuck Basie in. Uh, Chuck, of course, former state representative here in Missouri and a Second Amendment supporter. And uh, let me just say good morning to him. Good, good morning, morning, sir. Nice to be with you. I know. I, I kind of envy you guys. And Chuck has already purchased a firearm this morning. <laughs> uh, that didn't take long. Uh, Garson is in from Graffs. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Well, uh, so here's what we've got on the table today. Uh, the pistol brace deal, where the hell is it at now? Uh, we'll, we'll chat about that. Uh, then we've got uh, Dr. John Lott coming on board. He's made an intriguing bet, and we'll give you the details of that wager. It's with the anti-gun crowd. We'll talk about the hubris of the uh, president's son's defense team. You'll recall, you'll recall that he lied on his Nix check uh, to get his, uh, his uh, firearm. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of kick that up. But we're going to have a little bit of fun here to start with. Did you know that Jeopardy used uh, a lot of gun questions in their contests on their TV show? I didn't know this. No. But we'll throw a few of these out there and see who can answer them. We'll start off with something easy because, uh, well, because Dale's here. <laughs> Shooting these in a barrel is proverbially, proverbially easy. What is a fish? Using Okay, Garson uh, gets a point there. <laughs> Didn't take him long. I thought it was monkeys. <laughs> the barrel monkeys. <laughs> well, you were a legislator. You were in politics, so that, that can be... Uh, that can be uh, explained. Um, let me see. There, there's. Uh, suppose I bought something. I, I bought everything that uh, that Garson owns. Uh, what have I purchased? Lock, stock, and barrel. Yeah, from uh, from the rifle. Okay. Uh, in 1871, Ambrose Burnside became the first president of this group that promotes firearm safety. NRA. Yeah. Oh, Ms. what Oakley. is the NRA? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Did we establish we Four. had to say that? <laughs> uh, no, we didn't. So you, you guys are good. Ms. Oakley, grab that firearm. Annie, get your gun. Annie, get your gun. Absolutely. Um, let's see what else do we have here. No, that was silly. Um Born in Dark County in 1860, she developed her amazing proficiency with early uh, with firearms at an early age. Annie Oakley. Uh, you know, he's uh, Garson is winning this. I just want you guys to know this. Uh, due to its reliability, this arms maker's model 1873 rifle was called the gun that won the West. Winchester. Are you guys playing, or is it just Garson? <laughs> he unplugged our microphones. I <laughs> <laughs> he has the answer sheet right there. <laughs> oh, Lord. All right, uh, let's see. The sound, this is uh, reversible compound words for $600. Oh, the now sound, we got money on the table, we. Yeah, but we're lying, we don't. Oh. The sound of a firearm and a firearm used to ensure a pregnant daughter gets married. Shotgun, shotgun wedding? What are you, I'm sorry, what was that? What's a shotgun wedding? Uh, you got to give me both of these. 
the sound of a firearm and a firearm used to ensure a pregnant daughter's wedding. Oh, shot and shotgun wedding. A gunshot and a shotgun. Okay. okay. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I thought we would do that and it would be fun, but <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, best revolvers. This is from Gun and Tactical. Best revolvers for beginners. And uh, revolvers, uh, Garson, seem to be uh, enjoying a, a comeback. You know, for the longest time, everybody wanted a semi-automatic, but these revolvers are coming back like crazy. Well, and for like the last couple of years, it was impossible to get any revolvers for some reason. Yeah. Uh, Scott Van Kirk, who uh, is a sometime co-host and guest on the program, has really gotten into revolvers. But for beginners, uh, they have a list, and uh, we'll kind of go through them. Well, you don't need a list. You just need a Taurus Tracker 917, and then you're, you're good to go. You're good to go forget all the rest? Yeah. Uh, they want the Ruger Wrangler. Uh, they say it's small, affordable, very light, uh, chambered in the uh, teeny tiny fun to shoot 22 LR. Uh, as such, it barely moves between shots uh, and honestly hardly recoils at all. Uh, next on their list is the Ruger LCR 9mm. That's a revolver. Huh? <laughs> the little cute revolver, LTR. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I'll bet they don't even know that those are. Uh, that's what the acronym is. Uh, snub noses are not uh, good for beginner guns, they said. But the Ruger LCR nine millimeter is the best snub nose for beginners. It's affordable. Uh, the LCR series, in general, uh, they say, are uh, quite budget friendly and deliver a lot of gun for very little money. Uh, next on their list, Smith & Wesson uh, Model eight, uh, 686. Smith & Wesson Model 686. Uh, those looking for high-quality revolver to have some fun at the range should look no further than the Smith & Wesson 686. Um, it's got the uh, their medium L-frame, uh, plus its uh, full underlug provides excellent balance, they say, while still having enough weight to mitigate recoil. Plus, uh, the model denotes that the gun holds seven rounds. The seven-round thing I find intriguing. You know, somebody thinking, because just about every other revolver, not all, but most of them are just six rounds. I would think that would surprise the bad guy. Uh, number four on their list, the Cimarron model P357 Magnum. Uh, Garson, would you recommend a 357 for a beginner? Uh, yes. I mean, if, if you're serious about getting a revolver, there's nothing wrong with getting a 357 because you can also uh, download it with 38s. So um, you get, you know, a wide range of ammo options there. And then, you know, you can, you know, you do have to, you know, make, make sure you clean it a little better. Uh, so if you develop a lead ring at the, at the mouth of the 38 special case, you want to make sure that gets cleaned off um, before you start shooting 357s in it again. But other than that, no, yeah. Um, Good, good way to start, and that way you can get a gun you can practice with and get, you know, higher-end, uh, hotter self-defense ammo for for when you decide to carry it, if that's what you're buying the gun for. Number five on the list, the Ruger GP100. Uh, they say it's a workhorse uh, for a it, true... It's a workout to lift it. <laughs> I was going to say, a heavy gun, but... 
they say for a true do all last forever revolver, the forty two inch, uh, the four point two inch forty two inch. <laughs> yeah, you walk with a limp when you carry that. The four point two inch barrel model is the one to get. Uh, all stainless steel construction, full underlug. Uh, the gun is heavy, uh, weighing in at forty ounces. However, this also helps the uh, GP one hundred tackle the thirty eight special and three fifty seven mag with with no problem. Uh, the Taurus 627 Tracker. Where have I heard this before? Uh, so you want to uh, dip your toes into the uh, pool and try out a 38-357 revolver, but are unsure about shelling out 700 to a, to a grand? Luckily, Taurus has you covered with a competitively priced Tracker revolver. So those are just uh, some. They also uh, suggest the Ruger SP-101 uh, for uh, beginners who are looking to get into revolvers. So my question is, Garson, wh- I mean, what what is the availability of, you know, 38, 357 versus 9 mil? It's actually dollar. fair right now. Really? Yeah. Good to know. At yeah. graphs, obviously. At well. most places. <laughs> <laughs> But but graphs really right. I mean you can you can definitely buy it for me, and I suggest that you do. But um, you know when I'm I'm gauging the availability of ammo, I'm I'm looking at it nationwide and even worldwide uh, to determine you know where where the crash is coming. Um, when it comes to reloading, uh, there's some some uh, rounds are particularly challenging. I think uh, I've been talking the last couple of weeks about the the 5.7 round. I love that uh, Smith and Wesson that I got. Uh, but I understand you can't reload those very much. Maybe once. Uh, are are there, Garson? Are there uh, some rounds that are just really dependable to reload over and over? Um, for the most part, no. I mean, most of your cartridges. It, it so it it basically boils down to how much work you want to put into taking care of your your components um, before you before you go on through the next cycle of reloading. Um, so there, there's some, there's some cartridges where, you know, if you, if you don't do, if you do the bare minimum, you may get, you know, two or three, maybe four reloads out of it. But that same brass, if you, if you take extra care and prep on it, um, I've seen guys stretch out to, you know, 20 reloads a case or or longer before, before it's no longer serviceable. Wow. All right. Uh, there are some tips there and some information. We'll talk about these pistol braces. Because it really is confusing where they're at. We'll do that next on Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome. Glad to have you with us. If uh, you want in, 1-800-529-5572. That gets you into the studio. You can also go to GaryNolan.com. Send me a message, and uh, it will also pop up here in studio. You don't, by the way, have to sign up for anything or uh, worry about cookies. Just feel free to go to GaryNolan.com. Send me a message. Pistol braces in the news. And uh, I didn't know this until yesterday, but apparently Missouri law uh, forbids the possession of a short-barreled rifle without a federal tax stamp. And under Missouri law, the pistol brace makes an AR-style pistol a short-barreled rifle. Uh, So even with SAPA, that means that law enforcement in Missouri can charge you with having a pistol brace without using any federal law. Geez, uh, this is a surprise to me. I, I'm. It's a surprise to me. I've never heard that before, and I'd love to know. 
Uh, Ron Calzone uh, sent this to me. He said that they tried to fix that last session, but they didn't get it done. So I was I was surprised. I I, I really yeah. didn't think that was the the case. Uh, you know, I, I remember Rep- Representative Shri Reich. Uh, early in the session, I talked to her, and she said that they had uh, put an amendment on a bill in the uh, House committee, I believe. And uh, anyway, that I think that was attached to the concealed carry bill on public transportation that made it through the House and was on the Senate calendar. And because of the end of session filibustering, uh, it didn't make it through, unfortunately. But there's, there's, <clears throat> excuse me, there's nothing in Chapter 571 that addresses pistol braces. I mean, short, that's... Well, short-barreled rifle. Mm-hmm. Isn't there, oh, it, I see. What he's trying to do is bootstrap... Sort of bootstrap that if the federal government says your gun is now a short-barreled rifle, then under Missouri law, it's a short-barreled rifle. I, you know... That's an interesting... Yeah. If the attorney doesn't get it, we're all screwed. Well, I see where they're going with that. Yeah. So, you know, people in other states that may, you know, uh, not have this, uh, we don't have an advantage in Missouri with SEPA. It it doesn't protect us in this case. But the short barrel pistol, you know, if if you've been wounded in the military and you can only shoot with one hand, you can only have, uh, uh, maybe you've had a stroke, you got some hemiparesis and, and it's, uh, you're stuck with one hand, that pistol brace means you can defend yourself. And that they're taking this away is really, really irritating. And uh, fortunately for us, uh, Dale has created a cheat sheet so that we can follow... <laughs> All of the machinations here. So where do we stand now? And I had to do that for myself because the landscape is changing at least weekly. Yeah. Um, Well, the interesting thing, two specific cases uh, that have caught my eye. um, One of them, for example, was Second Amendment Foundation and, and others versus the ATF and probably Merrick Garland. And in that case, it's a it's a Fifth Circuit case. The judge issued an injunction against the ATF against enforcing the pistol brace rule and and said you can't enforce it as to uh, the Second Amendment Foundation. And the Second Amendment Foundation went back and specifically asked the judge, well, does this mean they can't enforce it against our members? And she said yes and put it in writing. So that in theory, if you're, and I say in theory, and I'll say why in a minute, you know, if you're a member of the Second Amendment Foundation, and I'm a life member of the Second Amendment Foundation, then according to this judge's order here in Missouri, the ATF can't enforce the brace rule against me. Now, I don't want to be, I say in theory, because I don't want to be the test case on that. I mean, if I, if I were living in the Fifth Circuit, I'd feel pretty safe. I don't live in the Fifth Circuit. I live in the Eighth Circuit. Um, but then also uh, in uh, Texas, a federal court judge in a case which is the Gun Owners of America and others versus the ATF and Stephen Dettelbach did the same thing. Said the brace rule is unconstitutional and cannot be applied or enforced against Gun Owners of America 
and individuals employed by the state of Texas or can't be enforced by individuals employed by the state of Texas and said, you know, if you're a member of the Gun Owners of America, then this can't be enforced against you. So there's, they're carving out some interesting segments of society who, in theory, aren't affected by the brace rule. It's really confusing. And, but... I, and I, hopefully, and maybe that's why some of the judges are doing it this way, they're positioning it such that, you know, the Supreme Court is going to have to take this. Well, I say they have to take it. They don't have to take anything. But the the way the cases are coming down on the pistol brace, some of the cases on bump stock, and then all the other cases that have come down since the Supreme Court decision in Bruin, you know, magazines over 10 rounds, um, serial numbers on guns are unconstitutional, the prohibition against possession of guns and pot, unconstitutional, uh, on and on. They're really setting, you know, cases up for the Supreme Court to step in and do something. Well, if, uh, you know, based on what I understand of Bruin, this this doesn't stand constitutional muster. No, certainly not. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know simple reading of Bruin, you don't have to be a lawyer or an expert uh, to look at what Bruin said and, and you know, basically Bruin said if, if this was a prohibition when we passed the Second Amendment then it's good and if it wasn't, it's probably not and so federal judges are looking at cases and saying, you know, it wasn't until the Gun Control Act of 1968 that we enacted this prohibition, prohibition against possession of guns and pot but that's obviously not part of our legal history. It wasn't part of, you know, what they were thinking in 1871. Yeah, um, you, you know what? I thought so, too. But apparently there were lots of laws uh, about people being intoxicated. They're, right. And, and that's the thing. They, they have gone back. There, was, there were some cases where they um, had prohibitions against intoxicated persons possessing weapons. And I'd have to go back and reread... Uh, either the briefs or the oral argument in the Bruin case, I think in those cases they had a sort of system where you could post a bond and then they'd let you have a weapon if, if you first posted a bond and the justices talked about it. So it wasn't really a complete prohibition. Um, but I may, I, again, that's off the top of my head. I'd need to go back and double-check that. But yes, there, it's interesting how you know there are a few exceptions even back then well carried to its logical conclusion um the the second amendment uh, as written you know b back by the founding fathers you could have any firearm any weapon really uh that uh, that the military had yes so eventually if they keep you know knocking on the door of the supreme court they're going to have to say you can have a suppressor, you can have a fully automatic weapon. Uh, all of these things have to fall by the wayside based on, it seems to me, what they're saying. We've got to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. It is Gary on Guns. Hey, good morning. Garson is in from Graf's, known worldwide for their reloading supplies. Firearms, they've got targets, they've got holsters, they got everything. It's at Graf's. They are in Mexico, Missouri. Uh, also with us, uh, former uh, Missouri State Legislator 
Uh, Chuck Basie, he is on board, and uh, Dale Roberts is with us. Uh, Dale is uh, uh, an attorney, and he has taught various firearms classes since the mid-1980s and started teaching firearms law seminars for the Missouri Bar back in 2007. Um, and uh, so he is uh, on to answer some questions here, the legal questions. So uh, we were talking about the pistol braces, and... So now I'm a member of Gun Owners of America, so I'm covered, right? I can have a pistol brace. That's what the judge says. And as I said, they, you know, if I, if I lived in uh, Texas, I think that was, with the Fifth Circuit, I'd feel really comfortable about saying absolutely. But as for GOA members in Missouri or, God forbid, Illinois, um, hmm. I, as I said, I never want to be the test case. I'm, I'm somewhat cautious in that regard. But wow. yeah, yes, the, the judge said in those two cases, two different judges, you know, in the one, the judge said, you know, gun owners of America and their members, you can't enforce this against them. The other one, the Second Amendment Foundation and their members, and you can't enforce it against them. And as as we were all saying during the break, Garson's saying, well, so if I join GOA or SAF today, am I covered? You know, is there, will there be a distinction between people who weren't members when the litigation took place? And again, I, I don't want to be the test case to, you know, try it and see. <laughs> what a confusing mess. Oh, yes. And, you know, they just keep nibbling away at the Second Amendment. Um, and it's not just Democrats. Uh, let's not forget, it was Republicans who, uh, and it was a Republican president who went after bump stocks. Uh, yes, uh, and uh, there are some law that uh, some laws that have been passed uh, historically that were done by Republicans. So it is not just Democrats. Uh, these people are are going after your firearms left and right. But and I, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say I I still think and hope that uh, some of these judges are nibbling away at it in a way to make it so confusing that the Supremes are going to have to say, oh, my God, we've got to clean this up. You know, if, it, if there were some clear cases out there, very clear cut, the Supremes could say, well, you could see what the law is in your area. You, you know, you don't need us to step in. I may be wrong. Uh, Garson, do you guys sell pistol braces? Uh, we did before the ATF sent us a letter telling us we could <laughs> no longer market them. Unbelievable. Uh, there was a cutoff date for any any pistol brace and so yeah, everything that we had in stock got pulled so do you, here's the big question um so like on a bnt ghm9 if it came without the pistol brace you bought a brace you take off the sort of end cap on the gun and put the brace on and that end cap a two by two by one inch piece of metal a lot of people may have thrown them away and i looked a while you know a couple weeks ago and braces Slightly used braces or new braces on Gunbroker and, and elsewhere are dirt cheap, and those in cap pieces to replace them are <laughs> out of stock and rather expensive. So, are you selling the, you know? No, um, those are those are not something we've even seen available. Yeah, um, you know, from our from our sources. So it's something that yeah we don't we don't have, um, and so like I've I had a scorpion. And um, since I have no faith in the outcome of this, um, I converted it. It took me a while to find a 16-inch barrel 
but um, it's converted to a, a rifle configuration now. Um, and I, I paid a pretty petty for that 16-inch barrel. Wow. So, um, roughly how many of these are out there? Is, is, it, uh, is it true there's like 40 million of these things out there? I, I think that's a low estimate. Really? Yeah, I've heard numbers that are much higher than that. Well, they've been making them for how long? I mean... 11 years, 12 years? Yeah, and at least once or twice the ATF said, yeah, those are okay. So people have bought them up like crazy. Yep. And the funny thing was is that I kept waiting for them to say something about it, so I didn't buy one until like four four years ago, I think. <laughs> so you're the one that did this. Yeah. Thought you were safe, did you? I was like, oh, it's, it's been it's been like five, six years. I guess I guess this is okay. Time now. No. No, see, and that's part of the problem with uh, with big government is that uh, you're subject to the vicissitudes of who's in power. And if they can change the definition of words, uh, they can turn anything into a prohibited item. And if they decide they're going to reclassify revolvers as fully automatic weapons, everybody with a Smith & Wesson 38 revolver is going to be breaking the law. And that's what they're doing here, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what they did with bump stocks? Isn't that what they're doing with this? Well, it's what they've done with a lot of things. I well, mean, yeah. they, ATF, ATF approves something or says it's not an NFA item. Manufacturers start producing them, and then they change their mind and reverse course on it. And, um, you know, one of the most famous cases of that is the street sweeper shotgun. You know, they sold a lot of those. And then... The ATF's like, well, wait, we're going to change our mind. That that's now an NFA item. That's not that's not legal, even though it's just a semi-auto shotgun. And I I can go buy a brand new semi-auto shotgun today. That's no better or worse than a street sweeper, and not have to pay a two hundred dollar tax stamp for it. But but the street sweeper was scary looking. Well, it had a it had a evil name. It and was the, scary the marketing looking. on that wasn't that great. But um, if they, if they named it the 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 pink fuzzy bunny yeah. it probably would have gone over better i had one and the the trigger pull on him was pretty bad oh <laughs> you know 15 pounds i mean it was ridiculous well and that and that magazine's overly complicated yeah it's a 12 shot revolver 12 shot 12 gauge revolver Me, meanwhile my yeah. russian sega 12 that feeds from a magazine exactly runs like a sewing machine is yeah. half the weight yeah it's insanity. I, I wonder if the whole uh, existence of uh, BATF... Oh, sorry. My point to that was is that there were owners of those shotguns that did not get the memo in time. So they're now or have been in possession of a legal firearm without even knowing it because the ATF changed their mind. And that's been 30 years now? Yes. And I, and I because I had one and I've sold it since then, but... I had one. They sent out the notice saying you have X period of time to register it. You don't have to pay the two hundred dollars, but you have to register it. And if you, if you know somebody has one and they don't register by this date, then it can never be registered. It'll be an illegal weapon forever. Yep. And so if you you know I don't know how they find those addresses. If you didn't get notified, you're just you have an Ill, you can never register that weapon. It's illegal to have it. Unbelievable. Uh, we got, uh, if you've got a question, feel free to give us a call, 800-529-5572. Uh, Mike is on the line. Mike, good morning. 
Morning, guys. How you doing? Good. Well, we're doing well. Great. Hey, listen, I was watching some uh, Wilson Combat stuff, and uh, they were talking about the Castle Dockrent and if it extends to your car. And in Missouri, does it, or do you know, I mean, how to find out that information? It does. I mean, basically, you have the right to defend yourself, uh, or maybe I should say the right to defend yourself is the same in your car, in your place of business, anywhere where you have the legal right to be. So that would extend, that would be in any state, right? Oh, well, I, I'm just talking about Missouri. Yeah, some states don't have a council doctrine, and others, like Texas is a little more liberal than ours, I think. Hmm. All right, so All right. Mike, there you go. Thanks a lot, guys. You are welcome. Glad to have you on Gary on Guns. We are up against the clock. We've got to take a quick break. Coming up, though, I want to tell you, Dr. John Lott's going to be with us, an intriguing bet that he's made. Uh, he's also going to go after Hunter Biden uh, and, and the hypocrisy of the Biden family about guns. That's coming up. And then we've got show and tell. Can't go wrong. All coming up on Gary and Guns. Hey, welcome. Uh, on board with us, Garson is in from Graffs in Mexico, Missouri. We've got Dale Roberts, uh, MoGunLaw.com. And uh, then we have Dale Ro uh, Dale Roberts. <laughs> My other... Uh, yeah. Huh? My other brother, Dale Roberts. Your other brother. Yeah, that's right. Oh, God, I'm in so much trouble. Anyway, we've got... Um, by the way, it's, it's Chuck Basie. But we've got uh, some... Well, a cheat sheet uh, that Dale brought in. And I was looking at this, and I'm kind of surprised at some of the information on this. Dealing with FFLs? Uh, is it, it, it this thing? If, if I'm reading this right, Texas is the number one uh, state for FFLs. Uh, they lead all the other active, uh, but California is number two. I think you got that backwards, don't you? It's uh, well, pop. Oh, no, so, Texas sorry, has I, the most FFLs, but their population, sorry, population rank population is two. Rank, excuse me. You're right. You're absolutely right. And the really weird thing, I just got this yesterday or the day before. Um, is according to this, and this uh, I think came from the NSSF, National Sports Shooting Foundation, Texas has more Class 3 dealers than any other state. So the dealers who sell fully automatic weapons, suppressors, short-barreled shotguns, uh, excuse me, not Texas, California. California, according to this, has more Class 3 dealers. It's incredible. Movie prop houses. They, there's a lot of NFA stuff. Oh, yeah. But I, I like how the difference between Texas and California is greater than what most states have in total FFLs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Combine the four states, and this is California, Florida, uh, Pennsylvania, and Texas, I guess, uh, make up 25% of all FFLs uh, in the uh, United States individually. Texas is home to the most type uh, uh, one uh, FFLs uh, with uh, just shy of 5,000. California is the most uh, type 3 FFLs, 6,280. Florida uh, and Florida uh, to the most uh, dealer, manufacturer, and importers of destructive devices. This is kind of, kind of, well, interesting information. I would never have thought that. Especially California. Oh, yeah. Missouri put up some strong numbers there. 
Well, it, you know, if there was a if there were a state where you'd want to own a firearm, it would be Missouri. Really, uh, you know, work that that uh, has been done in the state uh, legislature, uh, the Second Amendment Preservation oh, you mean, Act. You mean want to, not need? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, I was thinking if there was a state I needed to have a firearm, it'd be California. <laughs> yeah, well, or St. Well, you know, St. Louis isn't exactly uh, a safe haven. Columbia's not far behind, right? Yeah, uh, that is uh, kind of interesting. Uh, it, I, I talked to the uh, uh, CPOA chief uh, just uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, he says part of the reason is uh, we're having a lot of uh, turnover in law enforcement. They're not paid enough. Uh, Dale, you would know what's going on there. Uh, this this is what you did for years. Uh, and uh, other cities and communities in the sheriff's office are literally seducing our law enforcement away from Columbia. And they don't get any support from the city or the city council. So there's the constant fear. And Mayor Treese said this years ago you know a law enforcement officer goes to work in the morning with her life in one hand and her uh, you know badge or prof profession in the other and doesn't know if she'll have them at the end of the day and you know the officers in columbia have no idea if they have to do what they have to do is the city going to throw them under the bus and Did so even though they may make more money here than some agencies, more other agencies can be more attractive. Did you see the videos of those police officers at, at, in front of Cosmos? No. Harpos? Or Harpos, I'm sorry. Harpos. Yeah, yeah I saw it. Cosmos. Oh, oh, uh, yes, yes. Um, I, I looked at that video, and I, I didn't get it. The video that I saw was from behind the police officer's back that was smacking the guy in the face. So I didn't get a, you know, maybe there are other views that, that were better, but it appeared to me that this guy was resisting. Oh, and absolutely. And they were trying to get him under control. I, did, I didn't think that he, the, that they did anything horribly wrong. Uh, Dale, what's your, your take on it? It's, it's the appearance you know, it looks awful to see two officers, you know, holding the guy down and punching him in the face. But that's an individual who, you know, started problems such that the security people or the bouncers, whatever, at, at Harpo's wanted to kick him out. He wouldn't leave. They were forced to call the police. He wouldn't do what the police asked him to do. And then he's upset about the outcome. Uh, my gosh. It's... What? And then there's, now there are two officers short. Yeah, two more uh, officers. Yeah, on top of what they already short. And, and, you know, PPCT, and I'm embarrassed, Todd and Bill are both going to give me trouble for not remembering what that stands for. But, you know, the, the training they receive on controlling someone uh, teaches them certain body strikes that are appropriate in order to get somebody under control. And I'm sorry if police work doesn't look tidy, but that's the nature of the business. It it, it didn't seem. It, 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 I don't know how else they could have controlled the guy. I mean, they were trying to get this guy under control, uh, and I, I'm kind of sad that these two police officers uh, quit 
because I really think they could have, um, uh, they should have stayed and fought for their jobs. You know, Gary, I've heard you mention this many times on programs over the years, um, and it sticks with me all the time. This could all have been avoided if the guy had just listened to the the officers and the bouncers and just complied. Yep. Uh, and it happens all the time. You see people resist and act up, and and this is the result. And it's always, uh, the media is always blaming law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, how many of us are going to stay at a job where if there's any kind of problem, we get thrown under the bus to, well, to I, handle the situation? I mean, I, if that happened to me at any job, I'd be gone, period. So, I don't know. I think there's something under these circumstances uh, for defending yourself. Especially uh, when, I, especially when, if you stay, you know it's going to go. You're you're never going to be able to get another job in law enforcement if they if they if they hammer you down for you know this and accuse you of a crime and charge you with a crime. You're never going to get another job. So you think these guys are going to get another job it's in easy, law enforcement it, with oh, the yeah. market now? Yeah, it's oh, easier oh, for yeah. them to just walk away and then walk on somewhere else, get better pay, get better support at a department that appreciates their abilities and skills. And I'm not so sure another department might not look at that and go, oh, well, Columbia. Oh, yeah. I, I, there's a network of cops. I'm sure somebody got a hold of somebody and they had job offers within the week, if not the same day. Well, I, I certainly hope so, um, because it seemed seemed to me that it was wrong to, for them to be run out of town on a rail. Uh, I don't think they uh, that it was fair to them. And uh, as Chuck pointed out, you know, when law enforcement tell you to do something, just do it. And if they're wrong, take them to court. Yeah, the the officer's not there to rule on it. That's what that's what our judicial system's for. Yeah. Uh, coming up, uh, we've got show and tell. Uh, several terrific firearms, and uh, one <laughs> that caused Chuck Basie to to just uh, stand up and smile. Uh, <laughs> we should take a picture and send it to your wife. She should know. I think somebody already did that. Already <laughs> happened. Oh, as, as he was filling out the forty-four seventy-three. She should know what's coming home with Chuck. Uh, all right, listen, we got to take a quick break. Show and tell is coming up. Doctor John Lott, the hypocrisy of Hunter Biden and the Biden family, and a, an intriguing bet that he made. Coming up on Gary and Gun.